Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, I got a lot of inside baseball for you today about what's going on. Hopefully an update on Johnny Brennan, too. Don't go anywhere. It's a loaded show. And I also want to explain to you something in the beginning. History is written by the victors, and that's going to matter. It'll explain what's been going on with my show. For last week, today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't like the government spying on you online? I don't either. Stay anonymous. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? Hey, good morning, Dano. Ready to go, man. Ready to go. All right, good. I could hear. We had some technical difficulties. That's why the show may be a little bit late. I hope not, but I can hear you, which is good, Joe. That is a good sign. Everybody's clogging up the uh, internet and the media business because everybody's got a home studio now. We were ahead of the curve on that one. Just wanted. All right, big big show today. Ah. Today's show brought to you by Bowl and Branch, ladies and gentlemen. We're proud to associate with businesses that focus on the needs of this audience, like Bowl and Branch. They're great partners, measured by the quality of their products and the way they pursue your satisfaction. Bowl and Branch epitomizes an American business success story. They don't just make sheets and bedding, pillows and towels. (coughs) Excuse me. And all kind of comfortable things for your home with your help. They put in, uh, they put thousands of people to work around the world from their pillows made in Cincinnati, Ohio, to the mattresses made in my home state of Florida, Texas, and Arizona since they started six years ago. My bowl and branch sheets are fantastic. Love them. Wouldn't cheap, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't sleep on anything else. They're a great example of something small we treated ourselves to. It really makes a difference. In times like these, when you're spending so much time at home, starting and ending your day under sheets or pillows is a great reminder of how good life can be and how great it will be tomorrow. Thanks for being available online. Bowlandbranch.com is open for business. They're shipping their sheets, pillows, and more fast and free anywhere in the United States. If you've never tried their sheets or down pillows, they'll blow you away. Super comfortable sleeping on a cloud. Bowl and Branch is still offering their 30-day guarantee. If you don't love them, you can return them for a full refund. That's how good they really are. Remember, you only find Bowl and Branch sheets online. It's spelled B-O-L-L and Branch.com. It's now the time to make such a perp. Uh, it's now the time to make a purchase. Use a code Bongino, B-O-N-G-I-N-O, and get fifty dollars off your first set of sheets. Again, shopping is uh, shipping is fast and free. Shipping is fast and free. Restrictions may apply. See bowlandbranch.com for details. Promo code Bongino for fifty dollars off. All right, Joe, let's go. There we go. All right, just a quick note I wanted to add using Joe's favorite book ever. I say that jokingly for you old listeners of Black Swan. Yes. Um, the author Nassim Taleb has a section in one of his books. I'm pretty sure it's a Black Swan. I've read a few of them, so I may be off, but it is definitely by Nassim Taleb. And he has this section where he talks about how history, the history of what happened, is always written by the victors. And why does that matter? And why does it explain what I've been covering over the last two weeks um, with regard to what's going on to one of the biggest crises we've ever seen in our t- lifetime the the Wuhan virus from China there's no doubt about that however the sev- how severe the pandemic turns out to be later and we can go over the data later when we have fatality numbers we have R naughts and all however that turns out to be later 
regardless of the severity of the virus and the fatality and lethality of it, there's no question the economic, financial, social impacts on the United States have been dramatic. Nothing. We've, folks, tautologically, we've never seen anything like this in our time. We have not had a stock market drop and unemployment numbers anywhere close to this any time in our history. Never. Never. But history is written by the victors. And the reason I've been covering the retconning of history by the media now, retconning. Yeah, look it up because it's an important word. They use it in Hollywood. Again, where they they tell a story as if the story in the past didn't happen. I always use the example of the Halloween movies. Michael Myers, right? He he's alive. Well, yeah, he killed him in the last movie. It doesn't matter. They just retcon. They pretend it didn't, or they rewrite it. Right. They just rewrite history as if what you saw in the last Halloween movie never ever happened. The reason I covered because I've been getting a lot of questions about this, why I'm highlighting the media so so much, is because retconning history is a real thing. And ladies and gentlemen, if we don't counteract it now. Your kids in the future and their grandkids are going to be told a story that's not true. And your kids and grandkids are the leaders we've all been waiting for because they're there. They're going to be the next generation. If they actually believe that a Republican administration run by Donald Trump dropped the ball while tens of thousands of Americans died and they ignored the threat because they were mercenary and just wanted Americans to die while the media was all over this. Despite the evidence I've shown you in the past few days, which shows the exact opposite story, ironically written up by the New York Times this morning where Maggie Haberman, Joe, breaking news. Mm -hmm. She's trying to take a shot at Trump, which is hilarious. You know, collusion Maggie from the New York Times, the collusion hoaxer. She says, uh, breaking news, Peter Navarro, President Trump's trade advisor, warned the administration in January that this could be a big threat. Yeah, and they reacted with the travel ban. I don't understand how that's a story like knocking. I missed that totally. So did everyone else who actually read the article, by the way. We can't allow them to retcon history. And just quickly on the the, the Nassim Taleb, there's a a portion of one of his books where he writes about how this happens all the time. Forgive me if I don't get this exactly right. I was just thinking about it before I came on the air. Mm Mm-hmm. He talks about how before one of the world wars, when you when you go back and you read some of the history books about it, written, of course, now or recently about world wars that already happened, you'll see these lines like, and the world saw it was coming and turmoil was everywhere and everybody mm-hmm. saw and there was a tidal wave coming ashore and the panic was brewing. And mm-hmm. Talib writes one of his books, that's ah, not exactly accurate. <laughs> when you go back and actually read the news of the day, Joe, that's not what people were talking about. And when you look at things like the bond market, where, you, you know, if there was Joe, if there was a tidal wave coming ashore and everybody knew what was about to happen, you would see some volatility in these bonds and it, none of interest rates spiking. And that's not what happened at all. History is always written by the victors. Don't let the fake news media be victorious here in rewriting what actually happened. Facts matter. We can give report cards on the Trump administration, which we should. We don't golden calf anyone later. They work for us too. The fact that they're Republicans is candidly irrelevant. But don't let the media, which specializes in disinformation and misinformation now, rewrite history. It's important. By the way, quick note on the media, Stephanie Grisham breaking today is out as the White House press secretary. We'll see who replaces uh, Stephanie Grisham. She's going back to be the chief of staff for Melania Trump. So, uh, Good work, Stephanie Grisham. 
Uh, I liked her. She was always very nice. So uh, we'll see what happens with her. Okay, uh, folks, there's a lot more going on other than the uh, Wuhan virus. But one of the we've been the victims of this because the Democrats, as I showed you in that montage uh, the other day, I believe from the Free Beacon or maybe it was a uh, real, real uh, excuse me, Grabian. The Democrats are, never let a crisis go to waste ever. And they are always looking for an opportunity, Democrats and candidly, some Republicans as well, to use a crisis to institute their kind of new deal, new path forward, green yes. new deal, progressive agenda. Don't fall for it. Saw this article in the Wall Street Journal about something I mentioned today. Here it is again. Here it is again. The push for the digital dollar. No way, ladies and gentlemen. Uh-uh. Robert Hockett and Lawrence Rufrano. Wall Street Journal, digital dollars for all. The coronavirus crisis, Joe, underscores the need for a payment system that includes the unbanked. Of course. No, big no to the digital dollar. Let me get the headline out up front for a couple of reasons, ladies and gentlemen. Big warning signs. Paul Reveal running through the streets right now. The digital dollar? So the government can track you through some kind of a treasury deposit withdrawal spending system. The government can track all of your spending. As Joe mentioned last week, which was a brilliant point. Well, you allowed to spend that money in a gun store? I don't know. Huh? Is the government going to know you bought a gun? Are you going to be tracked by the treasury website? Well, he's not fair. I'm just asking questions. Right. Are you going to be allowed to go to payday lenders? Oh, payday lenders. Those are evil business. We can't have that. We can't. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm giving you the Obama administration. It's already done this stuff, by the way. Tried Operation Choke Point. Tried to choke these businesses off. Legal businesses. You may not like them. Perfectly legal business. You're going to be mm -hmm. allowed to go to a payday loan? What about a liquor store? No, oh, no hooch. No Midnight Dragon? I don't know. Uh. No 1942 for you? <laughs> But outside of that, as I brought up last week, this push for the digital dollar, again, of course, using a crisis to do it. Listen to their sales pitch now on this. Wow. Always wait for a crisis to implement the government's full control over the economy. From the Wall Street Journal, please. Money's dirty, Joe. Literally, that's what it says. Quote, Wall Street Journal. Money ah. is dirty and a pandemic makes it worse. Banknotes, coins, and even checks double as virus vectors. Ooh. Paper money so effective at spreading disease, Joe, that in late February, China began literally laundering its currency. It isn't hard to see why Congress considered establishing a digital dollar for America in the third coronavirus relief bill. A national digital payment system didn't make it into the final legislation. Thank God. Oh, thank God. Known as the CARES Act, but it should next time around. Here we go. Never let a crisis go to waste. Danger, Will Robinson. Ladies and gentlemen, boom, yeah. boom, boom. Those red sirens should be going off right now. Why do they want this? Well, Joe explained to you one of the more obvious reasons. The government gets to track everything you spend your money on. No thanks. Hard pass. Thank you very much. But secondly, let's give you the deuce on that one. From an economic perspective, ladies and gentlemen, I warned you a long time ago that the government is more than eager in the United States to push interest rates so low that they get into negative territory. Negative territory. You can't have negative interest rates. How do you have negative interest rates? Easy. You just make them negative. Oh, they've already tried it overseas. Negative interest rates, meaning you keep your money in the bank. You know, when you earn interest, you actually lose money by keeping your money in the bank. You may say to yourself, well, I'll just take my money out of the bank 
and hold on to the paper. Therefore, I wouldn't lose anything, right? Eh, wrong, because if the government moves to a digital dollar, it'll be pretty much impossible to get your money out of the bank. You ever think there of that you one? Go. There you go. There you go. Digitize everything. Negative interest rates. Your dollar's worth less and less and less. So you go to work, you earn a lot of money. Yet the money you earn goes down and down and down because you have nowhere to spend your paper money because everything's digital with the digital dollar. Now, if you missed last week's show, I'm not going to redo the whole show, but you may be saying, well, why would the government like negative interest rates? Because it's just another form of taxation is what it is. The government's running 22 to $24 trillion in debt on the books, probably another $100 trillion off the books with Social Security and Medicare obligations, but they don't have the money to pay. So what better way to reduce those debt obligations than to making the dollar worth less? Because remember, when a dollar's worth less, so is a dollar of debt. If I owe you a dollar and that dollar only buys half of what it bought before, That means I owe you half of what I owed you when I lent you the money. Isn't it great? Be careful, folks. As Joe would say, babe, 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 be careful. Never let a crisis go to waste. This is a A block of the Dan Bongino show. This is the never let a crisis go to waste segment. Let's go to never let a crisis go to waste. Number two from Breitbart. All right. Big no to the digital dollar, but. Another thing they want, ballot harvesting. Oh, this is great. Use this as an opportunity not only to digitize the dollar, whittle away our debt while taxing the snot out of people because they can't get their money out of the digital banks. <laughs> Fascinating. Here's another doozy. Former Clinton campaign attorney, Mark Elias. Remember him from the whole Spygate drama thing? Yeah, that guy. U.S. needs vote by mail, ballot harvesting, and vote anywhere rules. Hannah Blau, Breitbart. Story is in the show notes. Read it, please. I'm humbly and respectfully begging you read this story. Never let a crisis go to waste. But get a load of this one. Not only does the former Hillary attorney, yeah, that guy from the whole Hmm. Spygate trauma, remember him? Not only is he making a big push during the Wuhan virus crisis for ballot harvesting, listen to this, who he wants. Now, ballot harvesting, for those of you who don't know what that is, that's when they allow people to go out and collect ballots for others. We're not talking about election officials here. We're talking about just other people. Mm -hmm. Joe, community organizations. Oh, yeah. This sounds like a dream for voter integrity and security, right? Sure does. You don't believe me? Check out the Breitbart piece. It's a good one. From the piece. By the way, it's using their own quote. So there's no question that voting by mail is an important part of the solution. It mitigates the problems of long lines and fosters social distancing. But the specific rules used to implement vote by mail may determine whose vote is counted and who's not. He continued listing four mail in voting safeguards, including free or prepaid postage and the ability of, oh, oh, community organizations, Joe, to quote, help collect and deliver voted sealed ballots. Yeah, I wonder who those community Mm -hmm. organizations are going to be. ACORN? I'm sure it's going to be the NRA or something like that, right, Joe? Yeah, sure. I don't think so. (laughs) Unbelievable. That's because you were thinking human being. Yeah, dude, this sucks. Never, ever let a crisis go to waste. Ballot harvesting. Let's select community organizers. Go out and start picking up ballots from people. Now, of course, in a nick of time, 
in our Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste segment, ballot harvesting, which, by the way, is already happening in California and has been, in my opinion, a disaster thus far. Look who chimes in. Here comes Hills, you know, Hills, Hillary, the failed candidate for president, who tweets out yesterday because she can't start, you know, she can't, she simply cannot stop pouring gasoline on the fire of uh, what's going on right now. States must take concrete steps now to make sure every citizen can be heard in November. No matter where we are by then in fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. Who is she subtweeting? Yeah, Mark Elias. With his, huh. with his tweet calling for ballot harvesting. Who else is in on this, folks? You'll never believe it. You will never. As my mother-in-law says, I cannot believe. You will not believe who's in on this now. Of course, I'm being facetious because you absolutely will believe. Here comes George Soros to the rescue again. Breitbart Aaron Klein piece. George Soros-funded group pushes nationwide drop boxes for... <laughs> Drop boxes for voting. That's hilarious. That's a good one, George. Drop boxes for voting. Drop boxes on the corner. Like it's like a lemonade stand. And they can be run by community organizers. No problem oh, yeah. with voter security there. No. no. We hire a bunch of nine-year-olds. They can sell lemonade, collect votes. No problem at all. Voter security, voter integrity there. None. Don't you worry about that. From the peace. Soros' group coming into the rescue. Quote, with other Soros finance groups, the Brennan Center has been leading a campaign advocating a vote by mail system in the upcoming presidential election, citing fears that coronavirus makes it too dangerous to vote in person. Some of the groups are using the coronavirus crisis to push permanent changes to the way Americans vote. Again, in the never let a crisis go to waste scenario, I'm just here to warn you folks, that's what this show does. Get ready for the fights ahead. If you don't know this is out there on the horizon, you're not going to know what you're sailing towards. This is what we're sailing towards. The Democrats have zero interest, not the voting Democrats. I'm talking about the radicals up in the swamp. They have no interest in solving this problem. They do, however, have a big interest in rewriting history, retconning the story, nailing the Trump administration to the wall for this, despite the fact that they were the ones delaying relief and all that other stuff. And then at the same time, advancing new ideological goals that will change elections and the way we transfer money in this country. Not my words, their words from their own piece. They're their quotes, not mine. One final story here that's important in the never let a crisis go to waste thing, because I got a lot to get through today. From Bongino.com, welcome on board. Jeremy Frankel does good work over there. Great piece. Be in the show notes. Please read it, or you can just go to Bongino.com and check it out. Get a load of this one, Joe. Democrat congressman demands illegal aliens receive coronavirus stimulus checks. What? Jeremy Frankel. Bongino. No, no, no what? Yes, that's right. Yes. Uh, Adriano Espalat from New York. Forgive me if I'm saying your name wrong. It's not intentional. It's changed his position. Now he's saying, hey, listen, you know, it is undocumented, meaning illegal aliens. You know, of course, you're not allowed to say that if you're a leftist, of course, because, you know, they love to change the language every day. If you're here right, and you're not right. a citizen and you're here illegally, you are, in fact, an illegal alien. That is a tautological phrase. It's just is what it is. So now we're supposed to be paying people in the country illegally as well. 
So you have, just to be clear here, Congressman Espelot. Yeah. You have up to, what, 20, 30 million potential Americans out of work. Small businesses crushed. Savings wiped out. Generational prosperity potentially wiped out if we don't fix this soon. And your priority now is to give money to people who are here in the country, not even here legally? Yeah, that's a doozy. Make sure you read that piece. Enough on that. All right, uh, second sponsor today. I always appreciate your patience on Tuesday. It's always a loaded day. Our friends at Brick House Nutrition, one of my original sponsors and still one of my favorites. You see that light gets in the way. The Field of Greens. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the finest nutrition products out there. I love it. Listen, it's time to stay healthy. Come on, we all know that. I mean, Field of Greens, what is every single dietitian, exercise trainer, anyone involved in nutrition science tell you, your doctor, go out and eat fruits and vegetables. Why do we not do it though? I know they're tough to cook. They're perishable many times. I'm not a good cook. What's the best way to do it? Even though Paula's a great cook, she, we even get to kind of take the short version and take Field of Greens. This is, this one's thankfully because we're running out. If you want to eat healthier, I have this simple solution. Field of Greens from Brickhouse Nutrition. It's real food. Ladies and gentlemen, look on the back. How do we know this is real food? That's a nutrition facts label, not supplement facts. This is real, wholesome, vibrant, fruits and vegetables complete with antioxidants, all of the good stuff we know in fruits and vegetables in one scoop of this. I like to throw it in green tea. Sometimes I throw it in a little V8, sometimes in water, sometimes in a protein shake. It's delicious. I love it. Go to BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Get 15% your first order with the promo code Dan. They just came out with a wild uh, berry flavored version, which is delicious too. Go to BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Use promo code Dan today. Folks, it's time to get healthy. It's time to stay healthy. We all know fruits and vegetables are the key. Here's the key right here. Love this stuff. Been taking it for, gosh, four or five years now. Not even sure. It's been so long. Great stuff. Field of Greens. Go pick it up today. BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Promo code Dan. Thank you. Love BrickHouse. One of my original sponsors. All right. Um, you know, in a note of just brief comic relief, because I'm going to move on. I've got some video coming up of the Tucker Carlson show where, again, we get back to this dynamic about how are we going to balance real world threats in a world full of risk? And he said it better than I did yesterday. He did. His show, his monologue last night was just phenomenal. It was. It was really incredible. Yeah. I but saw before I great. get to that, just a brief moment of, yeah, it was. If you saw it, it was really amazing. Brief moment of comic relief. And of course, for comic relief, Joe, where do we always go? MSNBC, the home of <laughs> yeah. Roswell Rachel, Moscow Maddow. But this isn't uh, Moscow Maddow. This is another host, uh, equally clueless. Uh, Mika Brzezinski. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Mika. Yeah. Is it Mika or Mika? I honestly don't even know. But I, I think it's Mika. Mika Brzezinski. Here's Mika Brzezinski uh, hilariously suggesting that uh, Trump, who has expressed some hope that Plaquenil, otherwise known as hydroxychloroquine, works mm. as a treatment for the coronavirus. He's expressed some hope. He's been pretty candid. It may work. It may not. But if you're hurting and you could be dying from it, it's probably worth giving it a shot if your doctor agrees, of course. And your doctor, you know, I'm, I'm not your doctor, neither is Trump. But what he said is perfectly responsible and candid about the potential effectiveness of this drug. Here is Brzezinski suggesting in one of the most irresponsible moronic things you'll ever see in your time watching me, I'm not kidding, that Trump is suggesting this because he has a financial interest, a, a financial interest. That, that, that's, it's, it's financial. That's the only reason he's promoting. Listen to this nonsense. 
Dr. Fauci wasn't allowed to talk about what he feels is important to say about this drug that the president keeps pushing. A lot of people would say, follow the money. There's got to be some sort of financial tie to someone somewhere that has the president pushing this repeatedly. Conveniently, Joe. Oh, yeah. The timing is amazing. What drops this morning or so or last night? A story at the New York Times. Joe, wait for it. We're in real trouble now. They got us. Mika was onto something. Trump has a financial interest in a drug company that makes Plaquenil, hydroxychloroquine, Joe. Oh, my. They got nailed to the wall. Oh, no. I know. I don't know how Trump's ever going to. Impeachment time. Again, impeachment part two. No. And then you read the New York Times story. You go down a little bit and you go down a little bit and you find out that this financial interest for a guy who, by all estimates, is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. We don't know how much. I have no idea. Is he worth a billion? I don't know. I don't care. I'm, it's irrelevant to me. There's no question he's a wealthy man. Okay? We can, right? We can all just kind of put that baby to bed. So this New York Times story, whoa, there's a financial interest. We found it. They really did find it. So you're like, Dan, you're proving Mika right. <laughs> Not so much. You find out down deep in the story that his family trust owns a mutual fund, which, by the way, again, disclosure, I own shares of it too. Dodge and Cox. I'm not your financial advisor. Matter of fact, I got crushed on that one, but that's a whole different. And in that mutual fund, the mutual fund is a portfolio of diversified investments, which is what a mutual fund is. The New York Times doesn't really know that. He owns stock in a company that produces the off-patent drug, drug Plaquenil. I'm not kidding. I'm not This is their breaking news. Even the anti-Trump losers out there have been tweeting like, hey, guys, um, this isn't really the scoop you think it is because what they suggest to some federal office employees, office holders, who are subjected to conflict of interest laws, which doesn't include the president, by the way, one of their suggestions, Joe, to handle that is mm. to buy what? <laughs> Mutual funds because they're yeah. diverse and it eliminates a lot of the conflicts of interest. All right. And I, folks, really, this is the most irresponsible nonsense. I don't expect any more from MSNBC, but I just, again, I'm trying to get you to understand how the media is trying to retcon history. And every day is a new element to the story that's totally made up. And if we don't whack-a-mole it, you're going to have history books later written that will say, Trump missed the ball. Trump missed the ball. Americans died. He promoted a drug. The drug was a hoax. And he had a financial, all the, ladies and gentlemen, all this stuff is fake. It's, it's, we, have the, we have the receipts. It's all nonsense. So every day we're going to chip away a little bit because this show is on YouTube, uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts forever, forever. So no one is going to be able to go back and say, oh gosh, we didn't knock that down when we should. We did. And we're doing it right here. Okay. I want to get to Tucker again. I always appreciate your patience on Tuesday. Uh, I really love our sponsors and I'm happy that they, you know, they're on board with us. So I really appreciate it. I'm going to get to Tucker in a second. Today's show also brought to you by buddies at LifeLock. Ladies and gentlemen, LifeLock. This is the time for LifeLock. You have checks going out. It's tax season coming up. 
Folks, you do not want your tax check stolen. I used to do this in the Secret Service. It happens all the time. Sadly, electronic transfers are mitigated a little bit, but it still happens all the time. Go to lifelock.com slash Bongino, lifelock.com slash Bongino. There are some people who seem like they're prepared for anything. You have a cut, they'll give you a Band-Aid. You need a battery, they have multiple sizes on hand. Some of them still keep them in the refrigerator. Remember that? But if they're worried about identity theft and only monitoring their credit, they may not be prepared as they think. Breaches seem like they're happening more these days. Ladies and gentlemen, crime, sadly, in many areas is growing up. Is growing up. I've seen that. And with your breached information, like your name, social security number, more criminals can commit identity theft. That's why LifeLock sees more threats, like someone taking out a payday loan in your name, alerts you to a possible suspicious activity, and you end up having identity theft issue. You'll have a dedicated identity restoration specialist, just a phone call away. I get the texts. Whenever someone checks my credit, I always get the text. I, I screenshot it. I send it to Paula. Is this legit? Yes, we're doing this. We're doing that. Home loan, whatever it may be. The protection here is priceless. Listen, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But with breaches on the rise, doesn't it make sense today to be prepared? I have it for my kids too. You don't want them stealing your kid's identity. Join LifeLock today and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to LifeLock.com slash Bongino. That's LifeLock.com slash Bongino to save 25%. You lost without LifeLock. All right. So last night, one of the evergreen topics of my show for the past few days has been, ladies and gentlemen, it's important to get this right. It is important to get our public policy response to a viral pandemic right. Why? Well, again, not to relitigate yesterday's show or the week before, but just to hammer home the point that this will become a template for the future. You know, Paul and I were sitting around yesterday. Remember this, Paul? We were sitting around at the, at the kitchen when I was making some lunch, and we were talking about how the danger in the future, if economic shutdowns, regardless of the conditions on the ground, becomes the de facto response, is at any time even the whistle of a potential pathogen is in the news. Oh, there's a virus outbreak in whatever, Accra, Ghana, or Colombia, or uh, whatever, Cartagena, whatever it may be. What's going to happen? The fear of a massive public policy potential overreaction or underreaction is going to cause what? Another collapse in the economy. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't look at this simplistically. I get your emails and I read them. I understand. I appreciate your feedback, positive and negative. I mean it. I'm not kidding. That's why our email's out there. But I'm still getting responses from folks who are grossly mischaracterizing what I'm saying. Hmm. The argument now isn't shut the economy down or I want people to die. That's not an argument. Nobody is saying that. Not a reasonable person. We're simply saying, what's the threat? And has the response to this threat been worth the costs we've imposed on everyone else? Holman Jenkins says this much better than I did. I'll get to that later too. Because I've been trying to find a way to get through to folks about how I think we may have blown it here. Let's go to Tucker last night. He had a great point last night about how the response to this, the public response, stay off the streets. Matter of fact, if you don't stay off the streets, the government wants people snitching on you now. No, I'm not kidding. You'll see the end of this cut by the Los Angeles mayor embedded in the Tucker clip where the Los Angeles mayor is encouraging people. It's the end of it. 
encouraging people to call the cops and rat people out if they're on the street. I'm not joking. Yeah. And Tucker brings up this point about how, ladies and gentlemen, bonds are being broken here, sacred bonds that I'm not sure we can ever rebuild. I mean, I'm a conservative, largely a libertarian when it comes to economic and government issues. So you'd say, well, clearly you don't trust the government. I don't trust anybody, so it's not a relevant question. But I don't mistrust the government. I don't. I, I'm wary. I like the fact that we have oversight. I like the fact that we have the ability, even with police departments and fire departments, and even with our military, to engage in oversight. But I do trust them in some respect. I mean, when I get pulled over by a police officer, I don't automatically assume like, gosh, he's here to like take my money or something. I mean, in some countries, ladies and gentlemen, that happens. You got to be worried about the cops. Not here. So it's not an accurate statement. I do trust the government to some respect with, you know, with proper oversight. But ladies and gentlemen, bonds are being broken altogether. When you can't even go out and walk your dog without worrying about the mayor of Los Angeles encouraging your, encouraging your neighbors to call the cops on you. The effects of this are going to be long-lasting. I want you to listen to a very, very well-worded minute by Tucker Carlson on exactly this topic and the draconian response to a threat we haven't even fully understood yet. Check this out. Coronavirus.lacity.org slash business violation. You know the old expression about snitches? Well, in this case, snitches get rewards. We want to thank you for turning folks in and making sure we are all safe. So you just saw the mayor of our second biggest city offering to pay citizens to snitch on their neighbors for, among other things, daring to go to work. Working is one activity we've decided should not be allowed. Jogging, fishing, golf, fine. Being employed, a massive threat to public health. We've decided that offices are somehow more dangerous than supermarkets, far more dangerous, though no one has to date bothered to explain how. Snitches have gone from stitches to riches. That sucks. Joe knows the saying. You, see, you didn't even need to be coached on that one. That is this. If you grew up in the city like <laughs> I did, Joe knows the hard school of hard knocks too. The saying he's the L.A. mayor is grossly using, which is totally inappropriate for that, is snitches get stitches, meaning we beat mm -hmm. the hell out of them when they rat on you to the cops. That's right. what he's trying to say. But he says, oh, snitches get rewards in this case. Ladies and gentlemen, we're instituting a surveillance state now. Have you thought about, but Dan, we can't have people violating the curfew. Oh, okay. So you want a government surveillance state instituted where neighbors are literally calling the police to fine people for going out to walking their dogs? You think that's an appropriate trade-off? I'm just checking. Now, again, if your response to that is, well, you just want people to die, I'm not the right host for you because that's not what I'm saying. You're mischaracterizing it and you're engaging in a simple straw man argument. That is not what I'm saying. Obviously, right now, in the middle of an outbreak of this virus, which is deadly for a lot of people, there are going to have to be some control measures. Recommending that we all go and visit our grandparents in a nursing home while walking around in a public while a pandemic is raging is probably a pretty stupid idea and a reasonable measure that people will understand and won't fracture the bond of government because reasonable people will say that's a reasonable measure. 
calling the cops on your 70-year-old neighbor who's walking Fido outside and having the government give them a ticket because they're walking Fido while they've encountered no one in public is kind of stupid, no? Strikes you maybe as a little bit, tad bit unreasonable? As these unreasonable measures start to pile up, that government bond is being fractured. And Tucker brings up a very interesting point here, which I'll cover in this next clip from the same monologue. It's about eight minutes long, but I had to cut it because I, 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 I don't have the time. He brings up another point. Has government ever explained to us how this whole shutdown thing is working, Joe, given the fact that we haven't shut down the grocery stores? Hmm. We can't shut down it. We have to eat. I'm not yeah. suggesting we should. Let me be crystal clear. Unlike that dope at the White House press briefing. Why are we not shutting down the grocery store? Because we got to eat? Uh, gee, I don't know. Didn't think of that one. Whole calorie thing. Kilo cows didn't get that. But has anyone explained to us the benefit of shutting the economy down while people are still going to the one place, Joe, everybody in a neighborhood goes. And as Paula yep. brought up to me this morning, we touch stuff, we handle yep. stuff. There's nice thin aisles. Has anybody explained this? So just to be clear, you own a dry cleaning business where you can put gloves on, put a mask on and ask that your clients come in, drop their stuff and you'll hand them a receipt. That's too dangerous. Shut that dry cleaner down. He can't earn any money and people can't get their clothes dry clean because it's too dangerous. But the same guy can go to a grocery store and handle the tomatoes and the oranges that the customer was just handling two minutes before as he went to the same grocery store. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm confused here. No, no, Dan, that's different. That's different. We have to eat. No, no, Dan, that's not different. Because grocery stores aren't free. Because if you don't work, you don't eat. There isn't any difference. Here's the second part of this. I'm going to get this Holman Jenkins quote in a minute from one of his pieces because it's great. And it's something I've been trying to hammer home to you. We're not talking about good answers here. Shut down or not, or you want people to die. That's a straw man argument. That's fake. That's a simpleton's argument. We're not talking about good versus bad. We're talking about bad versus worse. We live in a world of bad, harmful options. The question we make is, the question we, we ask and we try to answer is, how do we maximize human prosperity by mitigating harmful effects amongst a world of bad choices? What do you mean, Dan? Bad choices? Ladies and gentlemen, we drill into the earth all the time. Harmful to the earth, we get oil out of it. Oh my gosh, we can't do that. That's terrible. We're drilling into the earth. Yeah, what would you like? You want mass starvation instead? Uh, mass starvation, drilling into the earth. I'll take drilling into the earth, Alex, for 100. Bad choices, right? There's nothing good about drilling into the earth. Nothing. Doesn't help the planet out. But if we don't drill into the earth for energy, we all starve to death and die. Tucker brings this point up, and again, a brilliant monologue last night. This piece is a little longer, a minute and a half or more. But I want you to listen to this, where he talks about how we're really not being explained how in this world of bad choices, leave the economy open, ask people to take protective measures at the known risk they may contract the Wuhan virus, or close the economy down, bankrupt everybody while everyone's going to the grocery store anyway, 
Has anyone even explained to us how we're weighing these options? Because it doesn't make a lot of sense. Check this out. Mass unemployment is almost certain to cause far more harm, including physical harm, to the average family than this disease. In 1967, two psychiatric researchers decided to rank traumatic life events in order of how profoundly they affected people's health. Stress can kill you, we know that, and they wanted to determine which kinds of stress were the most dangerous. The doctors found that losing a job ranked high on the list of health-degrading traumas. Joblessness came in well above death of a close friend, to put it into some perspective. If you ever found yourself unemployed with dependents to take care of, you understand this. Unfortunately, many of our policymakers don't understand. They've never been in that position. They never will be. Our professional class doesn't have much interest in middle-class job loss or its consequences. We know that because they've essentially ignored it for decades, not to mention the family disintegration and the drug epidemics it has spawned. So far, about 10,000 Americans have died from the Wuhan coronavirus. That number will rise, and it will likely include people you know. That's a tragedy. But it's not the only tragedy in progress in this country. In 2018, more than 67,000 Americans died of drug overdoses. The year before, more than 70,000 died. That's more than the entire population of the towns most of us grew up in. And those totals are far lower than the real number, according to people who study the question. The drug epidemic has permanently changed the demographics of this country, but for some reason, CNN has not kept a running tally of drug casualties on the screen. Why is that? Well, you know why. It's not their peer group. It doesn't seem real. They're not that interested. And the same thing is going on now. If the coronavirus shutdown was crushing college administrators or nonprofit executives or green energy lobbyists, it would have ended last week. Instead, it's mainly service workers and small business owners who have been hurt. And they're not on television talking about what they're going through. You need to look closely to see their suffering. Honestly, you can't say it much better than that. You know, I'm in this business and I don't unnecessarily, you know, hat tip people because I want to kiss anybody's butt. I don't care. I don't even really do that show anymore. But I can't think of a better way to say it than that. That monologue last night, again, is eight minutes. I cut for you two portions of it that I think highlight the high points of it. But it's really easy to talk about this when it's not your ass on the line. It's really easy to talk about it. It's simple. You just want people to die terms, which is nonsense, made up, straw man, simpleton arguments. It's really easy to say that and call a business non-essential when it's not yours. But what else you want to do? Well, there are ideas. Places overseas that have tried social distancing and not shutting down their economies. Where, by the way, infection rates aren't that much dramatically different than ours. Now, I'm just going to read to you quickly this, again, this line by Holman Jenkins talking about how the simpleton argument, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about people in the audience out, liberal audience out there, not necessarily listeners of this show, who keep suggesting that Trump keep this economy closed down or he wants people to die. It's a nonsense black or white argument in a gray world. And Jenkins wrote this, that when we're making these decisions, we're, quote, weighing different kinds of harm against each other so we can achieve our goals at the least possible cost. That's right. We're not weighing good versus bad, ladies and gentlemen. Shutting the economy down is a horror. 
keeping the economy open where infection rates may or may not rise comparable to what they are now is also a horror. The question is, how do we achieve our goal of doing the best we can to combat? We're not going to eradicate this virus. The best we can to eradicate, it will live with us forever. We may have a vaccine, hopefully. We may have treatments, but it'll live with us forever. You're not going to eradicate it from planet Earth. How do we achieve that goal of mitigating the effects of this at the least possible cost, not the most? That's the only real question among serious people. The only real question. You will impose massive costs on people either way. Now, I I thought of this in relationship to another news story. I'm just quickly on it. Some of you have asked me about my opinion of what happened on the USS Theodore Roosevelt. The captain who was dismissed from duty as the CO commanding officer of the ship after writing a letter that went public over a non-secure email system where he had an infection outbreak of the coronavirus on his ship. He was then relieved of duty. The Navy believed uh, that, that it was showed extremely poor judgment. Again, this is not a simple black or white issue. I just wanted to quickly address it. I've gotten a ton of emails from this from military people in the know. I was not in the military. I was not, I never served on the Theodore Roosevelt. I'm suggesting to you that other people have opinions. I'm going to tell you where, where I fall down on this is the same. This is not a simple black or white decision. He was relieved. The president says he may get involved. Fine. I looked at the CV, the resume of the, uh, the captain who was relieved of duty, Crozier. It's impressive. To say impressive may be an understatement. From all of the reporting I've seen on it, I'm basing it on what I've seen. I had to wait a few days, so I made sure the reporting was accurate. Seems he was very popular with his crew. Having said that, folks, although he's a decorated patriot, apparently, there are also weighing harms. Do you let people on the crew get infected or do you publicize a letter or put it on an open channel where it could become public, where it did, advertising the basically the ineffectiveness of one of our large fighting weapons, the Theodore Roosevelt. Again, these questions aren't simple ones in tough times. We'll see what President Trump, who's, of course, the commander-in-chief, what conclusion he comes to on this. I don't know this man, so I can't make a judgment on his character. But ladies and gentlemen, there's no question both sides have a viable argument here. These are hard times. Let's not make these decisions nonsensically simple. We just alienate each other and we break down not only the bonds between us and government, but between ourselves when we constantly attack each other. Well, you don't want to shut this down. You want people, if you don't want this guy fired, you don't understand military order. Folks, we have to look at the whole thing, the whole spectrum of options here. And again, out of possible harms, what is going to cost us the least here? All right. Um, I'm going to get to this study in a minute because it's important. And it's going to be up in the show notes. Northwestern, yeah, Kellogg School of Management, asked a fascinating question. Hey, we've seen these pandemics before. They've been even worse. Again, in light of what we're talking about here, what are the costs of this economic shutdown? Why the economic damage now? In other words, Joe, we've seen this before. We've never seen economic fallout like this. What's right. different this time? They go through a couple of short hypotheses, and I want to get to the Brennan stuff. Uh, last sponsor of the day, Harry's. 
Joe's favorite razor, Dan's favorite razor. I love Harry's. This is my Harry's. Look at that baby right there. Finest razor you're ever going to find. You know what I love about Harry's? I used to have to shave twice a day because I would do TV at night, do the show in the morning, and my face would get eaten up like I shaved with a chainsaw. Not with Harry's. I shave (laughs) once a day now because the shave is so close. Now's not the time to overpay for razors at the drugstore. Stop wasting money. Harry's knows sometimes it's better to stay inside. That's why they ship directly to you with these beautiful, price-effective razors. You can now experience the quality of a Harry's shave in just a few days from the convenience of your own home closest shave. I'm not kidding. Hands down, I have ever had. Real accurate, too. Helps me keep some facial hair. Join the 10 million who've tried Harry's. Claim your special trial offer now by going to harrys.com slash Bongino. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just $2 per blade. You're not going to beat that. They've cut out the middleman. They manufacture blades in their German blade factory that's been honing precision sharp blades for a century. It means you get incredibly high quality blades at factory direct prices. Harry's is super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door and your schedule with or without a subscription. And you can feel good about your purchase. 100% quality guarantee. You don't love your shave? Let them know. They'll give you a full refund. 1% 1% of proceeds, uh, proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide access to better health care for men and veterans. Listeners of my show can redeem their Harry's trial sets, beautiful trial set at harrys.com slash Bongino. You get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor right there with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave drill with aloe to keep your skin hydrated and a travel blade cover to prevent those dings and keep your razor dry, sharp, and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash Bongino today. Stop wasting your money on substandard razors. Go to harrys.com slash Bongino. Get the best right now. Start shaving better today. Check them out. Okay. So I picked this piece off the interweb, and uh, I thought this was worth your time because, again, we're talking about the cost of this shutdown to people, and- Northwestern or Kellogg School of Management did a little brief. It's, it's going to be in the show. It's super easy to read. It's not one of those overly wonky research papers where you read the abstract and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to pull my hair. This one's super <laughs> short, right to the point. I'll put it in the show notes, bongino.com slash newsletter. If you'd like to check that out, bongino.com slash newsletter. I'll email you these show notes every day. It's at the end. But uh, check this out. Interesting piece here. They talk about, again, why the economic fallout has been so dramatic from this particular pandemic, even though we've been through pandemics before. Spanish flu, we saw, of course, HIV, H1N1. Why now? What happened now? So Kellogg Insight, the unprecedented stock market reaction to COVID-19. A new analysis explains why this pandemic really is different. So I'm going to go through just quickly Three possible explanations, and the fourth one, which they think is the real reason. So the first one they talk about is, well, is it because of the severity of it? In other words, Joe, is it because of the fatality rate or more people Mm -hmm. dying? And the conclusion they come to in the piece is, no, the numbers don't back it up. Right. It's serious. We get it. Please stop with the straw man arguments for the liberals who watch the show. Nobody's saying otherwise. The question is, we've had, based on just fatality rates and body counts from virus outbreaks in the past. We've had outbreaks that have been more severe, including the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. And we haven't seen a corresponding economic shock like this. So they eliminate that possibility that it's the severity of it. The virus that is. Second possibility. Interesting, Joe, is it information diffusion? I got to be honest with you. I thought this Hmm. was the reason, but research always helps, right? In other words, Joe, Twitter, social media, 
You know, mm-hmm. back in 1918, it was hard to get information. If people were dying in New York and you lived in Wisconsin, you didn't really know. So you didn't know how severe it was. So maybe it was just information diffusion now. And the fact that with YouTube and 24-hour yeah. news, everybody's getting it right away. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, this is really bad. And therefore, at the same time, everybody just sold everything off. So they looked at that, the research, and they said, nah, it doesn't seem to work either, Joe, because even when the information had traveled around the world, the Spanish flu, which came back again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In other words, everybody knew at this point, we had gone through the season, you'd seen some news reporting, came back the second, you still didn't see this kind of economic shock. So they discard explanation number two about information diffusion. I was like, damn, I thought I was right on that one. Explanation number three is that the interconnectedness of the global supply chain, listen, you know, a hundred years ago, we didn't get all our stuff from China. You know, we imported stuff, no question, but, but nothing close to the global supply chains we have now, nothing. Fragmented supply chains are the rule of the, or, you know, the, the coin of the realm now in economics. Supply chains are all over the world. Mexico, Canada, China, Vietnam, Thailand, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Is that what it is? And they say, man, eh, it's possible. Could be. But then they get to explanation four. Has it been the policy prescriptions, the shutdown? Hmm. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, has the near exclusive cost imposed upon business owners and Americans who are going to go, many of whom are going to go bankrupt from this? Is it due to the policies? And they come to the conclusion, yes, that the behavior and policy prescriptions are the cause. Again, I'm just giving you the research, folks. You have to determine on your own. You're all free, sentient beings. Clearly intellectual based on your feedback on my show. I've got some very smart people who listen. I appreciate it. Doctors, architects, pilots. I'm not kidding. You know who you are. You email me all the time. Brilliant people. You have to ask yourself, if we can pretty much now, based on research, correlational research, obviously, but correlational research, which isn't invalid, not as good as causal research, but if we can conclude that the policy prescriptions are what's doing this, shouldn't we be asking, well, are those policy prescriptions worth the cost we're imposing now? Let me leave you with some good news before I move on to my Johnny Brennan saying, Johnny B, Johnny B's back. A PJ Media piece worth your time being the show notes today. Ladies and gentlemen, there are some green shoots, some notes of optimism in the economy. I know that no one wants to hear that right now. I get it. I just refuse to do bad news with you all the time. Everybody's taking a hit. I totally get it. I'm with you. You have my utmost sympathy. Believe me, I did not grow up with a silver spoon. Neither did Paula. She grew up far worse than I did, by the way. But there are some green shoots. There's a piece in PJ Media I'll have in the show notes today. I strongly encourage you to check out. Uh, it basically says this. Listen, there was nothing wrong with the economy before this started. If there was a massive financial collapse, uh, massive bubbles, and I'm not saying there weren't bubbles, but they didn't materialize before, we may have a V-shaped recovery. We may get back to some semblance of normal, hopefully shortly. I encourage you to read it, check it out, worth your time. Just don't want to leave you with a lot of bad news. Okay. Um, again, one quick... Uh, Humor break here in the interest of lightening the show on uh, what can be dour times. Here was a tweet put up by NBC. I'm just going to kind of read and show, and you can kind of just come to your own conclusions yourself. So NBC News tweeted this out about the governor of Virginia. Remember the guy with the Ku Klux Klan hood or the blackface? We still don't know which one he was. Remember Governor Ralph Northam? Democrat Governor of Virginia. Remember that guy? So um, NBC put this tweet up yesterday. Uh, In a striking moment, 
Government Ralph Northam put on his own black face mask. He urged every Virginian to do the same. That tweet was immediately deleted. Oh, man. Must have run out of black shoe polish or something like that. I don't know mm. what happened there with Ralph Northam. But, uh, yeah, probably not a good idea for NBC. Ralph Northam, I mean, really, this disgraceful human being. I, the fact that this guy's still the governor. And we're not sure if he was the guy in the Klan hood or the black face paint. I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm just... I I I I I don't I just don't un okay moving on Vaccine, I have nothing more because I'm really it's one of those things I have no yeah. words for my yeah. disgust at this horrible human mm -hmm. being who still manages and he by the way shut down the whole Virginia economy to what June thirtieth yeah real smart move Ralph okay. Um, hmm. final story of the day, but I think the best one, I hope you've been waiting anxiously. Like I have to get this one. So Johnny B is back in the spotlight. Johnny Brennan, peace by the Washington examiner, the excellent Jerry Dunleavy does great investigative reporting. If you're reading this stuff, you're ahead of the curve. Unlike collusion, Maggie at the New York times, where you're always six months behind the story. So Jerry Dunleavy, Washington examiner, John Durham investigation intensifies focus on John Brennan. Really? Oh, what's going on with Johnny B? Well, folks, if you're a regular listener to the show, you probably already know, but this is worth talking about again because apparently the United States attorney investigating the Spygate affair has those high beams on and Johnny B is right there. Let's go to the piece by Jerry Dunleavy. What does he say in this? What exactly are they looking at here? Quote, Durham is also scrutinizing Brennan in, relationship, in relation to British ex-spy Christopher Steele's dossier. In particular, the prosecutor is looking for answers on whether it was used in the 2017 assessment. Why Jim Comey and Andrew McCabe insisted upon it being part of the assessment, how allegations from the dossier ended up in the assessment's appendix, and whether John Brennan misled about the dossier's use. Ding, 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 ding. That last question. Again, you regular listeners already know this. Did John Brennan get Christopher Steele's information or was he working with Christopher Steele? to disseminate information way earlier than he said. What do I mean by that? Well, before we go to another screenshot of Lisa Page's testimony, I just want to play you this quick video we played before about John Brennan talking to the hapless Chuck Todd, uh, who is uh, you know quickly becoming one of the dumbest guys in media. But Chuck Todd on MSNBC, here's John Brennan telling him back in February of 2018 how the dossier, Christopher Steele's information, I didn't see that stuff until December. Really? Check this out. When did you first learn of the so-called Steele dossier and what Christopher Steele was doing? Well, it was a not a very well-kept secret among press circles uh, for several months before it came out. And it was in late summer of 2016 when there were some individuals uh, from the various uh, U.S. Uh, news uh, outlets mm -hmm. who asked me about my familiarity with it. And I had heard just snippets about it. I did not know what was in there. Uh, I did not see it until later in that year. I think it was in December. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I was uh, unaware of uh, the providence of it as well as uh, what was in it. And it did not play any role whatsoever in the intelligence community assessment that was done, that was presented to then-President Obama and then-President-elect Trump. How was the Steele dossier treated? It was, How did you treat it? You said you looked at it in December. I assume it's been looked at by, it was obviously looked at by the FBI. We've now learned they've tried to confirm some of it and have had some success. Some, not yet. 
Uh, they don't say it's they don't they say it's unconfirmed, but that's about it. Well, there were things in that dossier that made me wonder whether or not they would they were in fact accurate and true uh, and I do think it was up to the FBI to see whether or not they could verify any of it I think Jim Comey has said that it was contained salacious and unverified information just because it was unverified didn't mean it wasn't true and if the Russians were involved in something like that directed against individuals who are aspiring to the highest office in this land mm -hmm. there was an obligation on part of the FBI to uh, seek out the, the truth on it mm. Fascinating. He does two things in one soundbite there. I didn't see it till December after the election. In other words, Christopher Steele, the fake information we spied on Trump with. I didn't have anything to do with that till after December. Come on, guy. Leave me alone. Secondly, he manages to throw the FBI under the bus. Hey, I passed it off to them. They're the law hmm. enforcement guys. They were supposed to verify that. Ah, not the way that works, John. You're the head of the Central Intelligence Agency, guy. Your job is not to pass off unverified rumors to get presidential candidates spied on. Did you miss that? Did you miss the memo? Not sure. Well, here's where it gets really interesting. Let me put up this testimony by Lisa Page from the FBI. Remember, Brennan's saying, Joe, hey, whatever the FBI got from Christopher Steele and stuff. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I didn't see any of that till after the election. Mm -hmm. Really? You sure of that? Because Mark Meadows and the Republican congressman have been looking into this appear to think otherwise. They have Lisa Page, FBI lawyer, up on Capitol Hill, and they seem to be hinting at something that maybe Christopher Steele and John Brennan were talking way before December, ladies and gentlemen. Ms. Page says, ask, answering Mr. Meadows' question, she says, uh, Lisa Page says, yeah, with all due honesty, if Director Brennan got that information from our source, she's talking about Steele. She says, if the CIA had another source of that information, I'm neither aware of that, nor did the CIA provide it to us if they did, because the first time we, and Meadows cuts her off, we do know there are multiple sources. She says, I do know that. I do know that the information ultimately found its way to a lot of different places, certainly in October of 2016. Listen to this key line. I'm telling you, Brennan is lying. He was dealing with steel in the summer of 2016, ladies and gentlemen, and he's been lying about it the whole time. Here's Lisa Page under oath. But if the CIA, as early as August, in fact, had some of those same reports, talking about Steele's reports, I'm not aware of that, nor do I believe they provided them to us. And that would be unusual. My gosh, the FBI is getting pushed all the Steele information. You guys need to open up a case. John Brennan's pushing it to Harry Reid, Democrat, hack senator, who's then pushing the FBI to open up a case in August. But Brennan's saying, I don't know. I didn't get any of this information from Steele. I'm getting it from sources, right? Steele the whole time. What kind of knucklehead believes this? And now he's lying. Now you see what Durham's investigating? When did Brennan know about Steele? And if he knew about Steele in the summer and was telling the FBI and politicians, I've got information about Trump being a, a Russian asset, and he's getting that from Steele and he's lying, Brennan, suggesting he's getting it from someone else. That way, when Steele shows up to the FBI, it looks like the information's verified. Oh, John Brennan told us the same stuff. Of course he did. It's from the same guy. Brennan's just lying about it. Trust me, this is the story. In both of my books, I talk about this. Good reads right now. Especially Exonerated, where we nail Brennan to the wall on this. Folks, you know what? I'm going to get to some more of this tomorrow because I want to go into it in a little more detail. 
the laundering operation they did also to get this information laundered to the FBI. You know what? Throw this quick up, the second screenshot from the, because I'll hint to where, the, where this is going tomorrow. How Brennan made the information appear like it was coming from multiple channels when it was all coming from Steele and lied about it. I didn't see it till after the election. The FBI should have done their homework. <laughs> Dopes. And Brennan. Brennan thinks we're all stupid. I stand by the integrity of our work, our sources, and what we did, Steele told the Oxford Union students last month. Sir Andrew Wood, the former British ambassador to Russia, was also contacted by Durham's team, but told him he had nothing to add beyond what he said publicly. And why does that matter? Well, following Trump's victory in November of 2016, Sir Andrew Wood talked to Republican Senator John McCain at a security conference about Steele's dossier. It was after this conversation that McCain sent his associate, Kramer, to London to retrieve a copy. McCain, who died in August of 2018, gave a copy of Steele's research to Comey, although the Bureau had begun receiving Steele's dossier as early as July of 2016. Folks, this scam is so obvious right now. The information against Trump is false. They don't have any real information to spy on him. Steele makes it up in his dossier. Where he gets it from is going to be a pretty tremendous story that I'm just waiting to come out. So Steele has this portfolio of information. We need that to spy on Trump. Brennan realizes if he tells the FBI, hey, I'm getting this information from Steele, that when Steele goes to the FBI with the information, they're going to have to vet it. They're going to have to find multiple sources, right? They don't have multiple sources. They only have Steele. So Brennan lies and covers it up. Hey, we got this information from other sources about Trump being a Russian asset. It was Steele the whole time. Then they tell Steele, hey, go give it to Sir Andrew Wood. He'll give it to McCain. McCain will bring it to the FBI. Joe, the FBI gets it again. Oh, my gosh. Look at this dossier confirming what we've heard from Brennan about these multiple sources. There was no multiple sources. There was one source, Steele, the whole time. More on this tomorrow in a Daily Mail piece, which is going to be dead. Steele's in a lot of trouble. Don't miss the show tomorrow. Folks, thanks again for tuning in. We are only 8,000 subscribers away from 400,000 on YouTube. I deeply appreciate your support. It means a lot. Go to youtube.com slash Bongino. Subscribe to the channel. It's all free. We really appreciate your support. Thanks a lot. I will see you all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but... Are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen.